Hey everybody, welcome to the Star Trek Rewatch podcast by Nerdific.com. My name's Gabe, and I'm here with Jason. What's up, Jason? Hey, J- hey Gabe, how are you doing? Good. Today we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise. The episode is called Terra Nova, and it's the sixth episode. Story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, which I think all the episodes have been thus far. Teleplay by Antoinette Stella, who has a ton of TV credits, including producer roles on Star Trek Enterprise, but going back decades. But I believe this is the first female writer we've had on the show thus far. And then the best part about this episode is directed by LeVar Burton. Jordy LaForge! Kunta Quinte! <laughs> Kunta Quinte, Jordy LaForge. Woo! <laughs> I think that is so awesome that he directed and this potential successor to Alex Trebek on um, Jeopardy. Interesting. Rumors yeah, so that I've it, heard. As of this recording, Alex Trebek just died a couple days ago. So I did not hear that. I think he'd be great at that. Yeah. So this episode we were just saying is awesome. This has been my favorite episode so far. This was a great episode. Yes, mine too. Yeah, for many many reasons. So Terra Nova obviously would be like Latin for New Earth. But Mm -hmm. actually, it could be a phrase because when I did Google Translate, it actually said a new country. Yeah, Mm -hmm. or new land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically the story, the backstory is that 70 or 80 years prior to the events of of the enterprise there was a group who left earth for a earth-like planet 20 light years away and with their their current technology at that time they could make it there in nine years so they packed up a colony and left and and went they, they formed a colony on on this this new um terra nova planet and at that time obviously that was a huge feat but i I have a lot of thoughts about this jason Mm -hmm. so first of all there's been multiple times in previous episodes of this podcast where i have said apparently erroneously that the this mission that the enterprise crew is on is the furthest that humans have been Mm mm-hmm Including further than Ensign Mayweather. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's not true. Yeah, apparently. Um, because these other humans... And, and by the way, the the year that these humans did this is 2078. I looked this up later. Okay. And I guess we could have done that math anyway. Because we knew what Enterprise was. We could have subtracted 80, yeah. or, 80 or 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so back in the day, these people traveled 20 light years away from Earth. And, and formed this new colony. But we find out uh, through Captain Archer's retelling of this, so a lot of cool stuff, that before they went out and formed this new colony, they had also founded a colony on Mars, yep. one on the moon, um, mm-hmm. and then several on various like asteroids. So, so those are all really cool like lore points like to me like that was like this awesome thing to learn about the humans uh in the past and uh, the fact that they had formed these colonies and they have gotten progressively further yeah but but because it was so far away 
they they were able to transmit communications, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's a giant lag. Yep. And and it's not like if something went wrong, they could just go pick them up. I mean, it was nine years yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it be it. It becomes evident, though, from the communications they do have that it's a success. So Earth plans to send more colonists out there, uh, a second trip, so to speak. And the leader at that time at Terra Nova basically doesn't want this. And he says, he tells them, we're going to fire on any ship that comes into our space. Yeah. And so they don't send other colonists. Um, And then they're never heard from again. Got to step, got to hold. Yeah, go ahead. Which is really cool because, um, first of all, um, the colony was referred to as the Great Experiment, which is kind of, which is neat. Um, Mm. But then it turns out, which is kind of interesting that, um, that they started to oppose those colonists um because they had to struggle they themselves struggled to build had to struggle to build this new home on terra nova and that you know not and then you know to not wanting you know other humans and outsiders to disrupt this colony and this life that they built is really interesting right Mm -hmm. and um to me it conjures like similar tales in the real world like i think it's called roanoke roanoke colony was a colony Mm -hmm. in the americas where basically the exact same thing happened yeah where uh people left formed a colony it appeared to succeed and then all of a sudden they were never heard from again yeah (laughs) and i think to this day they have no idea what happened? I mean, obviously something terrible happened. Um, best case scenario, they they split up and um, assimilated with the Native Americans, but that seems unlikely hmm. that there'd be no trace. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? Most likely they all died in some horrible event. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's really interesting. Wow. Um, but you know, I, I have to think that this episode took some inspiration from that. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure, and probably other, you know, colonies of you know similar to Roanoke. I'm sure. Hmm. Yeah. So it's very mysterious, you know. Like, and it's said multiple times in the episode that um, this is like this great mystery of Earth's history and space travel's history. Hmm. Whatever happened to whatever happened to the novens nobody really knows because nobody had the ability to go check it out yeah until now until now so now the enterprise they can whip around space in no time definitely doesn't take them nine years to get there yeah Mm -hmm. at most a couple weeks or a couple days so they go they go to the planet and they see there's uh some low level radiation on the surface but they're like it's not bad enough that we have to really worry about it it's definitely there so they land, and uh, Archer explains because you know this would have been a story that all all people would know from the society. Um, so they're all know the history. So Archer's explaining like 
It was a one-way ship. As soon as the ship landed, it was meant to be disassembled into buildings to form their actual settlements down there. But they find the colony and there's like nobody in sight. It's like a ghost town. And so they're like, they don't really know what's going on. They don't see any bodies or anything. Um, but uh, eventually they see like like a savage, basically. Yeah. A guy with like dreadlocks and war paint on and stuff. Yeah. And they get attacked by these like savages. And it's not clear at first that they're humans. But they, they follow them into these caves, and, they, and then they discover they are humans. And then eventually they discover that these are the descendants of that colony from all those years ago. Um, so, Jason, do you believe that society is... This is a huge detour, by the way, but do you, <laughs> do you believe that? Yeah. Because I, I remember, like, for instance, my high school biology teacher telling us <sighs> that if they ever sent like a deep space ship yeah like like a scenario like this where they were traveling yeah. for decades mm-hmm, on mm-hmm, end mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the nature of society and human beings is that we would regress to a savage state just because of like the laws of like entropy and just how things go from order to disorder that it's basically uh, inevitable yeah. that we regress yeah, to yeah, yeah. animals to, yeah well maybe we not become feral yeah not maybe to, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not um maybe not to that like extent but i do believe that if we were to like let's say become martians or something you know, future generations we become Martians because they would be the first human human beings. We think on Mars, um, you know, or whatever planet we go to, we would be you know not um, we wouldn't be as um, informed, learned about the planet that we're now inhabiting. You know, and, and I'm going to use Mars just you know, as the easiest example, but, you know, our, you know, the future generations would be the first Martian humans, right? Um, Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be Earthicans, but they would be Martians. And so I don't know if regression is the right word, but probably, um, but yeah, definitely more of a kind of a, like early form of, humanoid you know or or her early we would man it, it, i don't think regression is the right word but it would be the equivalency to like you know man and the 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 dawning of human beings on earth you know uh the cave right um kind of savagey but yeah probably yeah definitely right and i think like you know it's obviously like a recurring trope i guess in in fiction like you know it's a very lord of the flies concept yeah. of you know you take civilized people and you drop them on an island they revert back to some sort of savage state yeah and they become, we would be getting back to basics savages basically. who kill yeah. each other yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i don't think we would revert 
I, but we'd be getting back to like a basic more f- basic form you know of like you know having to scrounge up and you know adapt to our new to our new surroundings on mars or whatever you know terra nova that we find or that we mm-hmm. land on you're forever the optimist jason because like a lot of people think like pessimistically they think we're evil our natural state is evil or at most arbitrarily like kind of moral like we don't we're amoral i guess sure arbitrarily and the only thing that keeps us like from killing each other and stuff are these like societal constructs but once you take those away sure like I, no, so. I, I could totally see. I could totally <laughs> see that happening. I'm like, you know, all bets are off. You know, if we land on a new planet. Yeah, I could see that happening potentially, and our us developing into like small groups, mm-hmm. and killing each other over like s- small things, like y- yeah, that you never would consider. Yeah, a big deal. Well. I would say Star Trek. I'm I'm painting a more dire picture than this episode. Sure. I mean these these people. You know they they lose a lot of their language. They they don't. Um, they speak in sort of like partial sentences, and um, they use very like symbolic language. Uh-huh. I'm um, like broken. I think is right. one of the. Right. Yeah. yeah. But they're definitely not like this murderous like. But there is a reason. There is a reason for those things. Well, and so, but they do. They they don't hesitate to attack. They do the the um the group that goes down the 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 ones that make kind of the first contact down, which is Archer, Mayweather, Lieutenant Reed, and T'Pol. T'Pol, yeah. Um. So, Archer is like just bound and determined to to um see his mission through and so they follow them into the cave even though these people are literally shooting at them and and reed was taken hostage right so when they're down there in the caves where these people live where they've set up their whole society basically Mm -hmm. uh reed is taken and um they basically so reed gets taken they get attacked so they have to flee the cave yeah and um so they get they get into their shuttle and they leave reed there and as soon as they get back they're like you have to scan the cave see if reed's all right they see reed is alive but they find out that it's too deep to transport him back so now they have to figure out how to go back down there and save them and um archer basically isn't going to leave his man down there but also um also archer is like has to reconcile these people like he he has to like like they're obviously being aggressive towards him and he like has to write this like he just can't stand for it it's like yeah um like he's like we're not bad people we shouldn't be treated like bad people and we can learn from them they can learn from us we can trade with them we can do all kinds of stuff yeah and i must say i think for me this and i and I, man i hope listeners don't think that i'm giving too much crap to archer but um we really see a little bit of gr- we see growth in his character in this episode 
with what you just said that we mm-hmm. you know you know need, want to make peace with these uh humans right which i don't it doesn't feel like does it feel like an archer from a past episode would have jumped to that similar I mean, he, he's always like altruistic yes Whereas to Paul would be one who'd be like, yeah, screw these people. Like, we're not going to compromise our mission. There's just way too many uh, uncertainties. Mm-hmm. These people could shoot us dead. And, but yeah, it, it definitely seems like he has this enormous heart. Yeah. And it seems less maybe centered on himself, maybe. Yeah. And I just want to point out another thing, which was really interesting for, or not interesting, but a cool thing. Was this was I think this is the first time he's called a briefing in the ship's situation room with his senior staff, and you know where they report to the captain and this is the situation as you were talking about it's you know that um, that Reed is too deep for uh, for them to use the transporter, and that the the geology of the caves that they're in is too unstable, um, you know. And all that kind of stuff, which is interesting because this is something very much part of Star Trek where, you know, the captain and the senior staff break down what this, you know, what it's going about. And then the captain orders, you know, how they proceed to next, which is cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, so they they do that and they figure out, okay, well, we got to go back down there. So, um Archer and Dr. Phlox go back down there. Mm-hmm. And I think they're unarmed. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and so you can just tell that Archer is just bound and determined to like right this wrong, essentially. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's not right that these people from Earth are attacking other humans from Earth. Um, oh, by the way, so we're talking about Phlox. He, he, you know, we're going to do a character highlight every episode. So, and we haven't done Dr. Phlox yet. Um, so Phlox is an awesome character. He's very cheery, just like infinitely inquisitive. Um, he has like this extreme affinity for humans. Mm-hmm. Um just you know i think in the first episode he comments on their optimism and uh you can tell he just admires like like you know the stuff we're talking about with archer right now mm-hmm. with just their their ability to um have this kind of spirit and optimism that drives them and yeah. it's unique to humans but he he's one of uh, a couple of characters who is um all in all or for the most part sort of like just all knowing mm-hmm. for for the most part and so like whenever an answer needs to be given to move the plot along it's either him or to paul yeah usually <laughs> yeah. that's there to do that yeah oh uh, he and so also he um he is not a uh human he he's not. humanoid uh, and and this was the first episode where I remember him saying um, what his species was, um, and it's uh, he says it's a Denubulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Denubulin. D- yep. Mm-hmm. Denubulin. Yep. Um, yeah. And so we don't we don't actually know much about 
this uh, species of alien. Uh, we do know that we, we first met him on Earth. He was the one who was treating Klang in episode one. So he was already established on Earth, much like the Vulcans were. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll find out more later on. But it's definitely not explained. You know, it's it's talked about a lot how the Vulcans and the humans met, but it's not talked about at all how these um, Denobolans mm-hmm. and, and humans met. I assume it's via an introduction from the Vulcans. But um, So anyway, so uh, he's played by John Billingsley, which is a name that's very familiar. Um, and he looks very familiar. But I can't personally remember where I know him from. He's done a lot of stuff. He's a accomplished actor, done the X-Files, been in the West Wing, um, Stargate SG-1, uh, where he actually played a Trekkie who, quote, worshipped at the altar of Roddenberry, which I thought was interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, just done a, a lot of different shows, but... Um, do you know him from anything else? Uh, no. Um. Oh, you know what? I see here he subsequently appeared on the ABC series Scrubs in 2009. Oh, interesting. Did you ever watch True Blood? I think he was on True Blood. I've seen a couple episodes of True Blood. That's one of those ones I, I probably would watch, but I just haven't had the chance yet. Oh, I, okay. I honestly, I think I recognize him from um, from Scrubs. Oh, inter- oh, okay, okay, okay. So. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about uh, Phlox? Uh, no, other than he'd be an ideal doctor. Bedside manner, inquisitive. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he, bring- he brings a very positive energy to every scene. I mean, you can tell that was his... He's just an awesome character. I don't know. Oh, he was on a he was in a West Wing episode too. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, we, so the reason why I highlight him is because in a couple minutes here you'll see why. Yeah. He plays a very important role. Yeah. So Archer and Flocks go down into the cave. And they basically say we're not armed. Um, we just want to. We just want to um, provide medical care to our man. They um, go down there, and they have a conversation with these these um, Novins, and they basically find out that Novins hate humans. They don't even understand that they are descendants of humans. That they are humans, um, and. They basically say that hu- the, the humans attacked their planet and, f- and that, that forced them, that, that created this like poison rain. Mm-hmm. And the poison rain forced them underground, forced their whole society underground. And poison rain and the quote unquote, the gutting. Mm-hmm. Right. So this has become this like, f- this fairy tale, this ghost story that's been passed down from generations um, and it's become their worldview that they were like the victims of this attack by humans and humans are the enemy 
And now their way of life is that they have to stay in the caves. Um, so I think that, um, ironically, even though they're wrong about those, those events, it's actually keeping them in the caves, which it keeps them away from the radiation, which they're not sophisticated enough to understand, let alone measure. So, cause I'm sure that long-term the radiation would kill them. Yeah. But because they have the, the superstition, uh, th- that superstition is basically saving them. But the problem is, is that, well, we'll, we'll get to the problem in a second. So down there, um, there, Archer is like kind of trying to explain to them, like, no, you're wrong, but he doesn't push it too hard. Um, they, um, you know, Reed was shot, but it's only in the leg. So Flocks basically heals him with their super advanced medicine. And um, then he demonstrates to one of the Novans, basically one of the elder like women, the like a matriarch, basically, of the Novans. Uh, he says, hey, I have this scanner here and I can tell that you're sick. You have lung cancer. Yeah. So this is this is awesome. He goes, uh, it's curable. I can cure you in a couple hours or whatever, but you would need to come up to my ship. You know, it's just almost like comedic moment of like, you have lung cancer. I can cure you in a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, I don't know, there's just a lot of lore building like that in this episode. Because yeah. we we know that they had solved a lot of war and, and health stuff as a society. But the detail of he can just go up to a ship and cure someone of lung cancer in a couple hours is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so, they convince this matriarch and her son to go up to the Enterprise but they're like, you have to leave Reed down here. And, um, you know, basically collateral. And Reed's like, whatever, I'll just hang out. Yeah. Um, so they take her up there. And um, they basically, Flox is like, yeah, I just need to synthesize a, a medicine. Give her a couple injections of it, whatever. And, and cures her of lung cancer. Um, but at the same time. Archer is still kind of pressing his his sort of MO and he like shows them photos and there's this photo fo- the last known like photo of this like transmission from the colony to earth there's like these or maybe they're just stored photos there's a photo of a little girl and the and the colonist and uh he's like basically shows that the little girl was her yeah and and that their their story is not what she basically is remembering yeah um and so um at the same time to paul and flocks figure out that the water down in the cave is poisoned from the acid rain so while they may be protected from the radiation on the surface, they're being exposed to this poison water and it's killing them. So they're going to die. Yeah. So now Archer's MO is to like save these people's lives. And of course, to Paul is like, she doesn't say let them die, but that's her, her attitude about it is like, you're taking this massive risk for these people who don't care 
they don't understand and they don't care like why are you doing this but that's just who archer is he exemplifies this this thing in humans that that makes them exceptional in this world so um they figure out that um the acid rain it wasn't the um effect of humans attacking the planet it was actually a asteroid that hit that hemisphere which where it hit on earth there was like compounds in the earth there which created acid rain. you mean on the planet not earth oh sorry yeah yeah on terra nova yeah terra nova. yeah mm-hmm. on the new earth yeah um and so he's like we can transport these people to a different hemisphere where there isn't uh, acid rain. Yeah, the southern hemisphere. Yeah. So they they go down there, and after some, some drama, they are able to convince them of this. Mostly the, the old lady. They convince her, and then she convinces everyone else. And then um, they succeed in doing that. And so once again, it's it's a situation where Archer wants to do the altruistic thing. To Paul would do the hyper rationalist, hyper rational thing. Mm-hmm. And Archer is right, you know. And there's this. This has been true in a lot of, I mean, throughout the series. Like he wanted to keep Clang alive and take Clang alive to the Klingons. He wanted to. Um, that group that was their their um the substance was being farmed harvested from their bodies paul wanted to leave them archer's like no this is wrong this is wrong what's happening yeah so he has a very like i don't know if it's egalitarian moral view i guess yeah a little bit yeah for sure definitely yeah and so um and the, the Vulcans probably also do, but they're so realistic about everything that they're like, it's like a numbers game to them. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. We can't go fight every small battle because we'll lose the big battle. Right. And Archer, Archer's like, no, we have to fight and we have to win every battle. <laughs> so anything to add to all that, buddy? I feel like I rambled on. Like, you know, it's weird. This episode was as long as the other ones, but I feel like there was so much more to say. Um um yeah so one of the one of the cool things was that interaction between reed and his guard mm-hmm. um you know because they were kind of looking um because um, you know they were kind of looking you know reed was kind of admiring his weapon and his armor and then you know they and the guard you know was not talking to him and there was a bit of tension, and they started eating, right? And remember um, seeing, um, you know, and, and the guard looked at him and asked him, and asked Reed if his belly was hollow, you know, yeah. meaning hungry. And mm-hmm. so he gave him, you know, that the meat that he was eating. And Reed says, you know, this is undercooked. And, you know, there's this tension that the guard says that he thinks that humans are weak, but then the whole thing turned, like, the whole thing, the whole situation got toned down because then it got calm again because there was music in the background and that was filling the cave. And I was like, that was really cool. That was a really cool part of that, yes, they are, you know, they are, 
they are novens, but they really are humans. And that music can draw, you know, has that ability to, like, cut the tension and and relax even to people um, who have a distrust of one another. Right. It's like this common language. Yeah. This this unifier that can kind of bridge bridge the gap between two vastly different groups. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was cool. And then the other thing, the other thing that was kind of interesting, which was really cool, was that the asteroid, you know, the colonists, like, took it, and they, you know, because they weren't getting um, communications back, and that they had heard one of the last messages was, you know, we're sending more humans or whatever, where they're going to take the colony back, was that because of the radiation, or I'm sorry, the asteroid that hit the planet, that the colonists, like, concluded that, you know, that people on Earth were, that they were taking the colony back by force. They kind of erroneously kind of came to those conclusions that, you know, that because there were no more um, communications with Earth, that the humans wanted to, like, take the colony back and bring more colonists to the colony. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, it was that, it was that asteroid that, you know, created the, um, um, the debris in the atmosphere. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there was like, you know, that's why there was a communication loss, you know, between Earth and Terra Nova. And then, you know, the ensuing, you know, and then the radiation from the impact, um, which was interesting because it left, because they were the children. Um, they were the, the mm-hmm. it was the children that the, uh, that survived. Um, right. And that kind of led them to having this hatred for off-worlders, as they as they said, which was really really. Um, yeah, interesting. Tony, man, it's it's Lord of the Flies. The children, yeah. Yeah. the children, you know, have to create their society, <laughs> and it's uh, it's not the most civilized one. I don't know. Um, and then, yeah. So at the end, uh, Mayweather says, you know, he's talking about these big mysteries that have occurred throughout history, like um, oh, are air- we not going to talk about the rescue of Akari? Oh, go ahead. I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. So, um, so, uh, what was it? Um, so they, so they, they, they tried to, so Archer and T'Pol tried to explain they're going to, they need Nadette and Jamin to like convince them and to convince the rest of the colonists to, um, to move to the southern hemisphere, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so they get what was it? They get Nadette to like confirm, right? But then when they when the shuttle lands, it's engulfed in that sinkhole. Remember? Mm-hmm. It gets engulfed, right? right. Mm-hmm. And then you know, there's this fight between Jamine and Archer, and you know, because there's still this. Um, tension between the two um 
you know, and Jameen wants Archer's phase pistol uh, to break through the rock. And then Archer is kind of reluctant to hand over um, mm-hmm. his face pistol because he had threatened um, Reed's life. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so on the way, you know, and so they're walking back and Archer, Jameen, and Nadette hear the screams of uh, the kid, Akari. You don't right. remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he's trapped Archer under the tree Jameen, in the water. You know, scale, you know, they scale down and then, you know, um, uh, they make it to Akari, um, but he was, um, but his leg is broken and he's trapped underneath this like big tree trunk and Archer, you know, is demanding his, uh, his phaser back and talks him into it and then is able to, um, you know, cut through the trunk and the the rescue of Akari basically helps it helped build the trust that act Archer's act to helping Akari you know builds trust between Jameen and Archer and you right. know and that's mm-hmm. how Nadette and Jameen are able to or Jamin um Find you know that's how they build that trust um with the captain to saying yes we need these you know these people are here to help us and their idea is to re you know for us to be relocated to the southern hemisphere and that's another very you know um star trek ideal is that you know the trust there was being built and that there had to be trust there between archer Nadette and Jamin for, you know, them to, you know, finally relocate to the Southern Hemisphere. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's been multiple times when their, their approach to like alien species has been like, assume the best. Yeah. And it works out. And, and there's, there's close calls. Like when in the last episode, when they rolled up on the Klingon warship, mm. they were like, Hey, Klingons, uh, can we talk to you? And the Klingons just immediately fired on them. Yeah. You know, but I don't know for this, this might be my personal thing, or maybe this is something everyone experiences. To me, it's like, I would default to like fear and like steering clear of them. And, you know, it's be, maybe that's just like, how most pop culture would treat it. They Mm -hmm. would treat it as like, be fearful of the unknown. But Star Trek is very like, really pushes against that. Yeah. It's the optimistic um, view of, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a lot of optimism for sure. Yeah. And that's why I think that's, that's why I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then, yes, like I was saying, at the end, uh, Mayweather's talking about these different mysteries throughout um, throughout human history, like Amelia Earhart, Unsolved. And he's like, but none of them hold a candle to the mystery of Terra Nova, and we solved it. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool, because that was something we could all relate to, like if you, know, if you solved the Amelia Earhart mystery or something. Yeah. And um, it's cool that Archer allowed... Um like allowed Mayweather to write the official 
report to Starfleet, which was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because early on in the episode, he had said that this was something that, as a child, that fascinated him and that he had learned about from his parents and everything. And, mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. Um, I was just thinking, like, with that, we were talking about when he was using the the phaser mm-hmm. to blast the tree trunk. That reminded me of in episode one in Star Wars, like, because that was a new era of cinema technology, they could, like, show the capabilities of lightsabers. Like, when the Jedi first go on the um, Trade Federation ship, he cuts through that that blast door. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they cut through the blast door. We we had never seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we had seen, like, lightsabers chop metal things in half or whatever, mm-hmm. but um, I, that's the first thing I thought of in that scene. I was like, <laughs> you know, now that we're in this, you know, modern era, we can, because I'm sure in the first show, you know, they couldn't show something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, in, I don't know if Next Generation could have showed something like that. I'm just, Probably something similar, but. Because you're always like, you know, when you watch these things as a kid, you go, how powerful is a lightsaber? Yeah. Like, like if I like swung my lightsaber at like a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would it go through it like, like a hot knife on butter? Yeah, yeah, or would yeah. it, mm-hmm. would it pause mm-hmm. and you'd have to like push down? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. not to yeah, like yeah, think yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I... Yeah. But yeah. So these phaser things, man, they can cut through some stuff. They don't mess around. They don't look like much, but... Yeah. It freaking just cuts right through this tree. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Anything All right. else? Uh, no, that's it. I uh, can't wait till next episode. Uh, the Andorian incident. Excited for this one? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Because uh, we get to meet... Uh, we get to meet the Andorians. Ooh, new yeah. species, huh? Yeah. A big uh, species that plays a, a fairly large role in the original series, but, you know, but then kind of fades away a little bit, but still plays a large role in the in the Star Trek universe for sure. I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, live long and prosper. May the force be with you. All right. Thanks. Yep. Thank you.